Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Inner Visions of the Inspired Obtaining Happiness. This is your host, Raymond Ricks II. And tonight, I want to talk about the greatness and inspirational words of the Reverend slash Dr. Phil Valentine. That is one of my heroes. He is somebody other than my parents and my brother who I look up to um, in life as far as going down the spiritual path of wisdom and knowledge itself. Um, I'm going to play some of the clips of um, his video, um, Metaphysics of the Bible, um, to a lot of you Christians out there. Some of the information might seem a little offensive to you, but it shouldn't. You're about the truth, right? Well, this is all about the truth and what you need to really know about the Bible, what you really need to know about Lucifer, Jesus the Christ, Enoch, Kemet, all kinds of um, of history back in the ancient times. So sit back. Relax and let's enjoy inner visions of the inspired obtaining happiness. Hey everybody, welcome back. So what I am going to do is play an audio of the greatness of um, the Reverend Phil Valentine. It's called Vampires of Consciousness. Um, it contains some profanity, but this man has been a huge, huge part of my life as far as looking things from a spiritual perspective. I love Dr. Phil Valentine. He is my hero, other than my parents and my brother. He is one of my heroes, and he tells it like it is as far as who Jesus the Christ is, who the importance of Enoch. Um, he wanted me to go into chemetology uh, college. I didn't have the money for it. I felt bad. Uh, but if he still has it, I would love to take it. But um, everybody, I want to play this by the Reverend Phil Valentine. It is a treat. You guys don't want to miss it. Ladies and gentlemen, forgive me at this point. If you don't see me looking straight at you. Because over the last three weeks. I have been. This has been taken like 15 years ago, by the way, and it still holds truth today. And I intend in this taping to give you as much as I can within the few hours that we have of everything that I could find 
because it'll take me another five to six hours of another program to just to keep filling in the dots for you. But what you are going to have here is a scholastic breakdown and the historicities of what you good Christians out there have been worshiping. It is time to logistically put aside, to scholastically put aside, to intellectually put aside this farce called Christianity. Christianity is a hoax. It is time for us to delete our consciousness atmosphere of this presence. Now, why did I call it Vampires of Consciousness? Because that's the name of this particular tape. Vampires of Consciousness, the true historicity of the Church of Satan, Christianity. There is no Church of Satan outside of Christianity. All religion encompasses the church of Satan. Now, why did I call it vampires of consciousness? Well, first, it is essential that we understand the nature of a vampire. We have to understand the nature of a vampire. One, it is a parasite by nature. Two, it feeds on the healthy, the innocent, and the unsuspecting. Three, it appears beautiful, mysterious, alluring, and powerful. Four, it sucks on the life stream of the host, depleting the life and light force until the host no longer knows who he or she is. Five, it affects and infects the host with a virus, quote unquote, until the host becomes one with the body of his redeemer, one with the consciousness of the vampire. Six, the host loses his sense of self, no longer perceiving the world and reality from a knowledge of self, but from a perception or knowledge given to him by the vampire. That is why I call this particular tape on Christianity the vampires of consciousness. Christianity is crack for the mind and soul. It lives in ignorance. Ignorance is the mother of devotion. Let me repeat that. Ignorance is the mother of devotion. That which you are ignorant of, you worship. Because you have no knowledge of what you worship. You believe in things you don't understand. And that's why you suffer. Stevie told you, superstition ain't no way. Christianity is crack for the soul. Religion is the crack pipe. You need to go and check the book, Edgar Allan Poe, The Pit and the Pendulum. What is The Pit and the Pendulum about? The Pit and the Pendulum was written by Poe about a story told by a prisoner who was in the dungeon of the Spanish Inquisition. In there, they described everything that went on in the Spanish Inquisition. 
Now, I didn't have all of the different books. I couldn't find it. I couldn't stay in the library long enough, and I couldn't get to all my books. Most of my books are locked away in storage. The ones that I did have, if you could see my room, I wouldn't even bring you up to my room because my room is like, uh, it's like a paper blizzard. I sleep on my work. All right, that's, that's how focused I become every time I want to put a particular uh, uh, program together. So I wanted to put together first and foremost the books that were banned, deleted, or rejected by the Roman Christian Church as apocryphal. Now, the word apocryphal means uninspired. Uninspired simply means that, okay, this one can get through without telling too much. Here are some of the books that were deleted from the Bible. Now, let me first say this to all you Christians out there who believe that your branch of Christianity is the one. The one that say, oh, well, hey, that's Roman Catholicism. That's them. That's the Catholics. No, it ain't. Because the Catholics are your father and your mother. I don't give a damn what Christianity you worship. I don't give a shit what Bible you use. You are still using the texts that came out of the Roman church under Constantine and the Council of Nicaea at 325. So you can call yourself a Lutheran. You can call yourself a Methodist, Episcopalian. Prim I don't give a shit. You are still a Christian by any other name. You are a branch on the same tree with the same roots. Now, I can only bring out 26 of the books that were deleted. And they are the Gospels of Thomas and Nicodemus, the, the Proto-Evangelum of James, the Gospel of the Nativity of Mary, the History of Joseph the Carpenter, the Gospel of the Childhood of the Redeemer, the Gospel According to the Egyptians, the Gospel of Bartholomew, the Gospel of Judas Iscariot, the Gospel of the Recollections of Peter, the Gospel of Adam and Eve, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Barabbas, the Book of the Nazarenes, the Gospel of the Revelations of Peter, the Gospels of the Shepherd of Hermes, of Hermas, the first epistle of Clement, the second epistle of Clement, the epistle to Barnabas, the diatessaron or the gospel of Tatian, the gospel of the Essenes, the revelation of Elias, the hymn of Jupiter of Clementius, the proverbs of Sirach, the book of Abu Dazura, the gospel of Enoch, and the gospel of the infancy of Jesus the Christ. Y'all know anything about this? Absolutely not. You heard about the Gospel of Barnabas. Well, that's one out of how many in here? Now forgive the bottom of my head or the back of my head because I'm going to be speaking to you from all of what I have written. It's best for me to just put it down on the record for you because I have a lot to read to you. The birth of Constantine, the father of Christianity. 
on the crossroads of the Balkans near a city called Naissus, N-A-I-S-S-U-S. An illegitimate child was born in 274 AD to a rural barmaid who flirted with freely with a Roman officer. The boy was named Constantine. He was born in the inn. This boy was ambitious. He joined the Roman military and quickly climbed up to the ranks of soldiery in the east on the banks of the Danube River for bravery in the battle on that Danube River, he was made a tribune. He rose to become a Caesar. He made himself an Augustus. Patience, prudence, determination, and optimism brought this son of an innkeeper to the very banks of the Tiber at the head of an army. Now, I'm, I'm writing to you based upon my own literary license. You're actually listening to how I write. All right, so it may tend to take on flair because I like to do that. I'm a Libra. I'm an artist by nature. I'm a wordologist. All right? So it's a little flavor in here, a little season. I think we're a little grown up now. We don't need, you know, Mary ran here. Jack saw this. All right? Across the bridge from Rome was Maxentius and his army, 200,000 strong. Now you just imagine Maxentius and Constantine across the river from one another facing off to become the next Caesar. Now you got to remember that at the time of Constantine, Rome was about to go into the toilet anyway. And at that time, there were about five or six other thugs vying for the throne of Caesar. So there were all these little compatches, almost like the gangs, little parts of the mafia. Whose family are you with? Constantine saw Severus try to take over Rome. Severus, somebody say something? Oh, Severus, the very man that Constantine followed. Severus went across, no good. He watched Galerius try to cross the Pontemol and failed. At Pontemol, Constantine halted his army and he waited. Now one day during his wait, he had a dream. He saw flaming in the sky a monogram in Greek of the so-called Christ of the gospel. This is the story they give it to you. In the flame of the burning cross, there were the words, In hoc signo vinces, or in this sign thou shalt conquer. Regarding this particular incident, Eusebius of Caesarea, the father of ecclesiastical history and Christianity writes, and of course he got flavorful too, at dawn, Constantine set his artifices to work and had the sign made, beautiful with gold gems. The Romans now call the sign the Labarum. It was in the following form, a long spear. The spear of destiny is what the Illuminati during the time. Now, this particular spear that Constantine made became the spear of destiny. This spear of destiny is what Hitler was looking for. When he began going across the Rhine, trying to destroy everything, he was actually looking for the spear of destiny for the Pope because the Pope said that he would support Hitler if all the countries he conquered became Catholic. They shook hands over it and said, okay. Now, it was overlaid with gold, crossed by a pierce laid over, by a piece laid over. On the tip of all was a crown formed in gold and jewels interwoven. 
on which were placed two letters indicating the name of Christ. The Greek letter P being intersected by X exactly at the center. This was the first symbol of your Christ. That is the sign that Constantine took into battle to conquer. From the transverse piece which crossed the spear was suspended a banner of purple cloth covered with profuse embroidery and bright jewels and gold. It was a square form and over it, beneath the cross, was placed a golden half-length picture of the emperor and his children. This standard he ordered to be carried at the head of all of his armies. This was quoted from a book called The Council of Nicaea by A.W. Dudley. Now you're going to get a lot of names of books because I made sure that you could go and find out for yourself. So Constantine with his army and the labarum held high for inspiration, crossed the Tiber and took Rome. But it must be remembered that before all this, in the so-called second century, the Roman Empire had ceased to expand. In the so-called third century, it crashed to pieces. So early in the fourth century, when Roman civilization was in the last stages of its own decline, there were as many as six imperial thugs fighting for the throne of the Caesars. One of them was Constantine. But Constantine had one advantage, one hook that he used to gain the upper hand. He discovered that the Christians or the Christians at the time they were called, would fight for an emperor who favored their religion. They held strategic positions secretly both within and without the society. So he struck a bargain with the Christian bishops, reaped his reward in victory over his rivals, and for this success, he made Christianity the religion of the empire and suppressed all other existing systems. It was not the gospel Jesus who established Christianity, but the Roman Emperor Constantine. And it was Eusebius of Caesarea who finished the job of writing his fraudulent history of Christianity. So who knows what might have happened to the cult of Christos had not Constantine adopted it as his state religion. The Roman and Greek scholars of that time mocked and dismissed this baby Jesus nonsense in the manger and for that they paid with their lives. In the fourth century Christianity rode to triumph. The victory was won but not by Christian teaching. It was won by bloody swords and religious wars that continued to disembowel Europe over the next 1600 years. These was in Europe Oh, these wars in Europe had not ceased. Look at Bosnia today. Bosnia today is a continuation of that Christian war. The Christian ministers of Rome thereafter were treated like kings because of Constantine. They were treated like royalty. Valuable gifts were made to the churches and Constantine gave the palace of the Lateran to Sylvester, Bishop of Rome. This act was the beginning of the papal ascendancy. This palace was once the estate of Fausta, F-A-U-S-T-A, the wife of Constantine. Then began the systematic murder of these initiates of the ancient mystery system who refused to accept the new faith. Maxtentius was Constantine's first victim. Maximian was his second. Licentius was his third. Galerius was his fourth. And you have to remember as we go on that he murdered his brother-in-law. He murdered his wife. 
and he murdered his mother, all of whom would not support this new religion. Laws were instituted forbidding any other forms of worship in Rome. Churches were ordered built and temples to the mysteries, which were actually schools at that time, at the command of Constantine were put to the torch. In his work, the First Council of Nicaea, page 19, I'm giving you the pages, author Dudley writes, in all his orders respecting the church affairs, he acted like an ancient pope. This is Constantine. Heresies were cursed and condemned, and heretics deprived of their rights of holdings, meetings, and their houses of prayer were taken and bestowed on the Catholic Church. Their books were ordered to be sought, uh, sought after and destroyed. End quote. All persecution by the Church of Christianity written on the pages of ecclesiastical history began with Constantine and extends to the present day. The Christian emperor was the first to forbid free thought. You think about that. Big Brother ain't coming from no government. Big Brother has been with us for the last 2,000 years. In a group of writings called the Hibbert lectures. A man named Renan translates, we search in vain through the collection of Roman laws before Constantine for any enactment aimed at free thought or in the history of the emperors for the persecution of abstract doctrines. Not a single savant was disturbed. Men whom the Middle Ages would have burned, such as Galen, Lucian, Plotinus, all lived in peace, protected by law. Now, you got to remember, let's just take a little bit of prehistory before this happens. The light of the world had already been shining. Where was that? Chem, Egypt. Remember that all of the information, Rome was worshipping Isis, quote unquote. Rome was worshipping Krishna. These were all present, all were accounted for in Rome. Rome was essentially an open place where you can actually come and study, set up your own schools, and deal with your own teachings. There were at least five or six different forms of, um, of, um, of scholarship in Rome during that time. There were black emperors. They don't ever tell you about that. Septimus Severus was black. Constantine committed many atrocities, including the murder of, and I'm going down, Maximian, his brother's, his wife's father. Bassinius, his sister's husband. Licinius, his nephew. Sopata, his closest friend. Licentius, his other sister's husband. Crispus, his own son. Fausta, his wife, whom he suffocated in, the, in a boiling hot bath. She was his wife of 20 years. She bore him three sons. His own mother, whom he strangled with his bare hands. For all of this, the suppressing of free thought, the destroying of the ancient mysteries, the murder of all of his closest friends, and leading the church to victory over his enemies, he was canonized a saint. After his death, says Eusebius, effigies of this blessed man were engraved on Roman coins, sitting in and driving a, a chariot with a hand reaching down from heaven to take him up. This is from a book called The Life of Constantine by Schlegel, S-C-H-L-E-G-E-L. Such is the legacy of Christianity, 
a religion based on bloodshed, fraud, lies, a religion founded by greedy fools and confirmed by an assassin, Constantine the so-called great. The atrocities of Constantine were not just limited to those I previously mentioned, but he also bled to death his theopolitical rivals, <clears throat> threw the, the unbelievers down into wells, and caused countless to die in crusades to defend the faith. In the book titled The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Gibbon, the historian, says, the Church of Rome defended by violence the empire which it had acquired by fraud. I ain't saying this. I'm putting it so that you, good Christians, could go back and tell your good Christian ministers who keep spouting that bullshit from the pulpit where they get it from. We ain't we ain't scratched the surface yet. Just gonna give you just the this is the this is just running through the beginnings because there's so much more to tell you. I got three or four books that I'm gonna read off to you. It's all right, they don't want to hear about it. They got one book, they're reading from a goddamn book anyway. So what makes this book the only book? They don't even know where this book came from. Do you know, you good Christians out there looking at this to tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Where you think this book came from? You think God reached down with a hand and started writing on some paper because some mass put up a piece of parchment? You really believe that crap, then you need to be enslaved. You need to be a slave. You don't even want to use the brain that God gave you. Now, Christianity was so full of shit that they even coined a phrase for the, for the literature. They call it pious frauds. It's all right. Pious frauds were the sanctification of ecclesiastical lies. The following are direct quotes from Christianity's founding fathers, which depict the type of theological ethics practiced by them in drafting the books that would be later used as divinely inspired of God. To begin with, Jeremiah told the priests of his time that they were liars. Just go to chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Jeremiah told you that the priests were full of shit. The priests read that and you don't get it. Who you think they are? And we see it again in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. Hilkiah himself was a scheming liar because Hilkiah came and brought some kind of book he said just came out of nowhere, presented it to the king. The king was so turking back, he tore his clothes off and said, give this man anything he wants. The apostles themselves accused one another of being liars and blasphemers. Just read Revelations 2, verses 2 and 9. Read it for Revelations verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. It appears that the lying, scheming, and forgeries were continued by the Christian church fathers up to this day. T.W. Duane writes in a book called The Bible Myths. Now this book is extremely hard to get. The only way you're going to get it is in a... Um, uh, a photograph copy form. T.W. Duan, in his book, The Bible Myths, page 434, it was a common practice among the early Christian fathers and saints to lie and deceive if their lies and deceits helped the cause of their Christ. 
Lactantius, L-A-C-T-A-N-T-I-U-S, the eminent Christian author, who from the beauty of his style of writing was called the Christian Cicero, writes, among those who seek power and gain from their religion, there will <clears throat> never be wanting an inclination to forge and lie for it. This is taken from Middleton's Letters from Rome, page 51. Gregory of Nazianzus, or Nazianus, N-A-Z-I-A-N-Z-U-S, Nazianzus. In writing to Jerome, now this is what Gregory, they picked up some of the letters that Gregory wrote to Jerome. He says, a little jargon is all that is necessary to impose upon the people. Our forefathers and doctors have often said, not what they thought, but what circumstances and necessity dictated. Eusebius, the celebrated Bishop of Caesarea and one of the architects of the Nicene fraud that became Christianity said in his ecclesiastical history, go into your books, your, your ecumenical um, uh, schools and look for Eusebius of Caesarea and get his book called the Ecclesiastical Histories. All right, everybody, please check out Vampires of Consciousness on YouTube. Check the rest of it out. And I just wanted to mention about Enoch. I've explained about Enoch that um, the book of Enoch in the Bible was taken out in the early 80s. Um, he was the first to... Um, going to the kingdom of heaven without experiencing death and people wanted to know how did he get there how did Noah get there how did Jesus Christ get there it's all of metaphysics they want to tell you bits and pieces of the book without giving you the whole thing because if they did then you wouldn't look at the church the same a lot of pastors deacons and some of these so-called Christians wouldn't get paid anymore. So you have to look at the psychology of it. The church in this day of time is about worshiping and honoring the um, sex appeal of the white Jesus. If you take that away, nobody would want to go to church anymore if they know what the real biblical days was all about if they knew about Tutmosis when they knew about Amen Hotep when they uh, people didn't realize that the word Amen came from um, Pharaoh Amen Hotep or you could call him Amen Hotep but it's Amen Hotep that's right. So Kemet was before the biblical era and before the era of Christ, there was Amenhotep. There was Osiris. There was the, um, the rise of the sun. And all kinds of things, so... There's a lot of fun facts about the Bible in history that you have to uncover. In all in in that note, 
I will be closing this podcast. It was a blast to hear Dr. Phil Valentine and his teachings. He just brings that energy and that power into the room. And I got nothing but love for Dr. Phil Valentine. And one day I would love to do an interview with him. But my message as always, make the impossible possible. You can do anything with the relationship with the creator of your choice. And um, just a reminder, for those of you who have listened to the show, special shout out to all of you, my family included. Until next time, everybody, y'all be safe. Y'all have a blessed one. Much love.